Welcome to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. On this podcast, we share ideas and hear from guests about how they find, retain, develop, and advance women and other underrepresented groups in their accounting firms. Now, on to our guest. Before we jump into the podcast, I just wanted to point out that there were some microphone level issues in today's recording. So the sound goes up and down a little bit more than normal, but I encourage you to stick with it because Candace had some amazing things to share and I think you'll enjoy the show. Thank you so much for being here today. We are going to be talking to Candace Freeman the DEI program manager at Frazier and Dieter in Atlanta, Georgia. And I am super excited to talk to Candace because she and I have been on a couple panels together and we're in the same city. And it's just always fun to catch up with how things are going with her. So thank you so much, Candace, for being here today. Of course. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for one, inviting me and extending the invitation. I always enjoy an opportunity to share space with you. We always have great conversations. So this will just be exactly like that. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's jump right in. So Frazier and Dieter has steadily expanded over the last 41 years. So you have quite the history there, but you've really seen a lot of growth in the last 18 months. Uh, with roughly 400 or so employees and plans to bring in 150 more, how are you ensuring that your culture and commitment to DEI remain strong as you acquire firms that may not have the same approach or commitment? Great question. I would say we are experiencing a lot of rapid growth in our firm. Um, and due to the industry, we are sitting at levels that are a lot higher than other firms with acquiring people, getting them into our pipeline. Um, but with that, it has provided an opportunity for many people within the business to really challenge the firm, to be flexible, to be curious, and being intentional in how our approach looks, the spaces that we're in, making sure that we're showing a presence and communicating uh, our Fraser and Dieter brand across our, all arms of the business. So not solely focusing on the people operations aspect, but how can we think about DEI and apply DEI um, initiatives, ideas, thoughts within the tax department, within the audit department, within the PRG department. So taking it out and not siloing um, just certain spaces or targeting certain metrics really working to hold ourselves accountable, hold our leaders accountable, asking the tough questions and uncovering what some of the gaps are, and then being intentional on our action of what it looks like. Um, so that can be creating foundations and structures that will enhance the firm's impact through DEI. Or it could also be providing opportunities of education, resources for the folks within our business so they can be an advocate. I'm only one person. Our firm is super, super expansive, expansive and we have multiple locations. Um, so I'm really kind of in that space of trying to partner with people, create genuine relationships so they can be an advocate in their own space, in their own place in their own office, knowing that the environment, the culture, the flow, all of that is going to be different. 
but really focusing on our people to kind of create that space. And having them tell us what they want to see, what they don't want to see, and really working with them to take that back to our leaders and be like, hey, this is what we need to do. What can we do together to co-collaborate what this process um, can look like? The, the fact that they have you in place speaks volumes to their commitment. Um, yeah. And a lot of firms don't have somebody in that DEI role who's really looking at the big picture and trying to make sure that the efforts integrate throughout the firm. You made such a good point there about it can't be siloed and be like, oh, here's our DEI stuff. And then here's our tax stuff and here's whatever. It has to be integrated throughout everything you do to really be effective, which I think speaks highly for the leadership at your firm for putting the effort there. I agree. I would agree. So as a perennial move firm, how do you feel your participation supports the goals that you've talked about and gives you a competitive advantage in this day and age when attracting talent and is probably more challenging than it ever has been? I think you made a very interesting point just before, Bonnie, when you're talking about like the firm's addition to my role is a great starting point. Um, I think with that, we've identified that we had gaps in some other issues and in, in some other spaces and attracting talent, recruiting talent. We have an opportunity there. Um, so it's awesome that we are, we have benchmark numbers, our research kind of report, reflects some of the things that we're doing to advance equity for women in business, for minorities in business. Um, but we certainly know that we have more work to do. Um, as we're moving the pendulum in the right direction. So our talent acquisition team has really been focusing on what that experience looks like, recruiting maybe a different, recruiting in different ways, I would say that's maybe not traditional to the accounting industry or firm. So that could be like really working in the community to like show up present so people know who we are. We are a very awesome firm. I say that we're the best. It could be a little biased, but we are surrounded by a lot of other big four accounting firms. Um, so really working on showing up a presence, whether it's in campuses, connecting people with different groups so we can open our pipeline up there, interacting in the community, focusing on the actual progress of the people and what they're doing. We are doing different things in like our recruitment and sourcing project process. So some of it is a little bit masked. So we might not know or see who a person is until they get to a certain stage in the process. Allowing other people who are interviewing or involved in the onboarding process, allowing other opportunities, insights, minds, not just solely sticking with the same 10 or five, 10 or 12 people who do all of it for the firm, mm -hmm. um, really asking the people and using a lot of the things, the data tools that we've had engagement survey results, feedback results from people when we interview, whether they made it through or not, asking what they liked, what didn't they like, what could we do better? Um, really trying to streamline our hiring process so it doesn't feel so long for folks, knowing that there's a war on talent out here. There is a lot of jobs and people have a lot of choices. Um, so really working on the people piece of the talent acquisition 
and not solely seeing people as a number. Yes, we need to fill this role. We need to have this job. We, it has its function. But how can we create an experience so the person's like, wow, that, that experience was awesome. I didn't take the job, but they were awesome. They were great. They helped me with this. They asked me this question. They wanted my feedback. That's one thing that I know that we utilize here that I have not always had in my professional space. Someone to reach out and say, hey, what could we do better? This didn't work out, but we want to hear from you. And I think to our credit, it works. We really, really look at like Glassdoor reviews and things like that. And just to make sure that the message that we hope and the culture that we hope is happening here is also being communicated and felt from others. We can only do so much in this space if that's not being received. Um, so how are we creating opportunities for people to give us feedback so they can receive and have the best experience and want to stay with us from the start of sourcing to many, many, many years down the line? Oh, I think that's very cool. I like the idea of creating relationships with people that you didn't even hire because so much of this industry is about word of mouth and your reputation. And even if, you know, that that fit may not have been the best thing for you, they leave with a positive feeling about your firm. So when there are additional openings and they have friends that are looking for jobs and you're you're going to be, if not top of mind, at least positive in their mind when they're thinking about the industry and the profession as a whole. So I think that's a smart thing that I don't hear a lot of people talking about. You just gave your secret away. <laughs> I would credit the firm to that. I would say, I think in um, during COVID, some of the transition of how the work life shifted, um, how we can do work shifted, um, we identified that there was some space to kind of beef up our people and culture department. Um, so the firm invested heavily into the people and culture department over the last, I would say, nine months to a year. The team existing in 2020, which was four people, is now 12 people. So we boomed. And due to that, we've had the opportunity to bring in specific people for specific things so we can really focus on this process. All of the people on the people and culture team are very business people-minded and the shifts you can tell are kind of starting to happen because we think of work a little bit differently than some of our accountants and data folks. That has really provided us this opportunity to hone in on the people experience so we can gather those folks as a resource later. It's worked. We've backfilled positions due to those relationships. But really, one of our taglines for our business is investing in relationships. So we need to make sure that we're doing that in all forms, whether they choose to be here or not, whether it's an intern who's here for one season or someone who's here for 15 years, really focusing on what that experience looks like. Oh, that's very good. I love it. So one of the things that I wanted to bring up is that Frazier and Dater is doing better than most other firms with advancing women of color, specifically in the talent pipeline. Based on data furnished by your firm to Move Project last year, women of color at your firm now comprise nearly a third of new hires, associates, and supervisors. 
this is an all important threshold because at this percentage, uh, wherever it is at the firm, people sharing an identity are perceived by others in the group to be speaking for themselves on the basis of their own qualifications instead of speaking for other women or minority groups or underrepresented identities. I hate that when it's like, oh, we're just going to set what they say aside because they're not a large enough group uh, percentage of the group to be heard of on their own. And, and it's stressful too, to be representing an entire group of people when you're really just one person with one opinion. So what are you doing differently than other firms to diversify your talent pipeline? And other than what we talked about already, and were any changes made to your recruiting, hiring, and retention efforts to bring about this positive result? Fraser Needers Talent Acquisition Team works actively in developing and maintaining a diverse pipeline. One, because it's a focus of all of the individuals who are on the talent acquisition team. Like it is a goal that they have quarterly, making sure that we are incorporating people, whether, and when I say diverse, I mean diverse in race, um, sexual orientation, um, education, like all the identities, usually just diverse, not just diversity in one. Um, So our team has many different people uh, of different ages, experience, demographics, backgrounds. So the folks who are sourcing have different experiences than some of the folks within the firm. So they have the opportunity to see and identify some things that maybe other recruiters in the past would not have noticed. So from the uh, moment a candidate enters the FD pipeline, they're equipped with all of the tools within the talent team. So we utilize like uh, greenhouse onboarding. They can access all of the different things um, within that hiring process. So they can look back and see things as it's kind of happening. We found that the mindset has shifted a little bit as we are creating opportunities to not only incorporate these people into our pipeline, but developing them too teaching them how to use some of the tools before they're even incorporated fully within the process, but then they also feel like they're equipped to know all of the things as they go. Hiring and interviewing, recruiting, it can be scary, especially if you're changing fields, industries, you're starting a new job. It's just a lot can happen in that space. I would say um, over the last year and a half, the firm has taken have noticed that we have some gaps in the business of things that we don't have, whether all of the identities that maybe we did before that our transition has kind of happened in this industry and we're in this interesting space where we're seeing a lot of shifting happening. Um, So really trying to be proactive. So we are finding the folks early and not being reactive, not being like, oh my gosh, we missed this. We need this. What can we do on the process that we're creating these relationships as we're providing these resources, as we're crafting what this experience looks like so we can also build up our own pipeline and tools so it doesn't feel like when we have something open, we have to do all of this work to source. We may have 10 or 15 people already in the back burner. Having constant conversations of what development looks like for folks. 
why do they want to come to FD? What are they looking out of being here and setting them up with spaces to be able to grow, develop, and be in that area? Um, the last one is really, really, really focusing on developing our people managers. Our people managers are awesome at the business stuff, but some of them um, have some opportunity with some of the people management skills. So having a conversation, having an in-person meeting, maybe shifting their mindset on how they work and do business to not solely see our people as a number. How are we creating an experience from that moment that they're sourced, they're interviewed, that we are wanting them to come back? How are we communicating that culture and making them feel like they are going to be valuable to our business? I say it all the time. Our most valuable asset is our people. We can do the business every day, but if we don't have our people here, if our people aren't passionate, they don't feel committed, we're not communicating a message for the um, community and public to see that, hey, we're doing all of these great things. You can do this here too. They're not going to even want to be within this process. We're never going to get them. So really working on our branding. What's the message we're communicating? What's the culture we want to communicate to the public? So they're going to be like, oh, that's cool. I want to know what they're doing. And it can kind of help to create that structure of how it looks. Sorry, that was a very long answer. (laughs) No, that's a really good answer. And I want to, that made me think about something you said earlier that I did want to follow up on is, is Frazier and Dieter in some ways incorporating a blind hiring process into their, you know, the whole recruiting and you know, looking at people? I, I know that's something that hasn't really been adopted very much within accounting firms, but I have read a lot and talked to a lot of uh, businesses that have. So I'm curious if you are doing that. And for those that don't know, blind hiring process is basically anonymizing candidates to a certain point so that they're, you know, they're not identified by race or sex or anything like that. It's just looking at the qualifications and experience without having these unconscious biases come into play. I will say yes. And so we are creating the structure of how that will look like going forward within our um, um, our recruitment process. So we are we automize certain things so you can't see like we'll say maybe race or someone's last name, whatever. Just taking some things like that out of it so you strictly can see what their education and competency is. Now I say yes and, as in we've identified that myself um, and the TA team, we're working on creating like an onboarding or interviewing process. So people would have to go through this class or workshop or whatever it is before they could be someone who was on the hiring committee or someone who would interview. And within that, we would talk about some of these ideas and tools and ideologies. So talk about what bias looks like, why we would take this out and not look at this. Looking at education 
that some may think is non-traditional as a benefit or an asset because they have a different approach. So really, we have identified that we have opportunity to relearn some of our reteach and have our leaders relearn and think about the hiring process differently. So we're getting there, but we're not there yet. We definitely are shifting the approach in some of the things to provide resources for folks so it can have so hiring can be the most impactful and we're not missing out on quality folks because of our own biases or our own thoughts on how things should look. Yes. Much like everything in this area, everything is a work in progress. You know, it's not like you suddenly, all right, we're done with that, you know, and move on to something else. But I, I applaud you for even going down that road. Yeah. Yeah. I think traditionally the idea of how people are hired, how people are recruited, the whole process, um, it's very archaic. It's there's opportunity that we can, we as a firm and other businesses can really look back at it and feel like, and see how they can create the biggest impact. Just because we've been doing things the same way for 150 years doesn't mean that that has to stay the same. Now, that means you have to be able to have open conversation and, and the autonomy to kind of really shift what some of these things look like. That part can be hard. So I don't want to communicate that that's an easy thing. Um, you really have to have the right co-collaborators is what I call them, whatever or whoever in the business to kind of help you enhance and shift in that way. Absolutely. What advice do you have for other firms that are looking to expand their talent pipeline and attract a more diverse workforce? Um, the first thing I always tell people is, if you don't know, it's okay. <laughs> it's all right if you don't know um, how to do it or even where to start. Yeah. My first advice would be is what tools, what data do you have within the business that's currently used, that you're currently using or is implemented so you can see what you have. Uncovering the gaps is the biggest thing. What is the space that you're missing something? What is the space that we can maybe enhance or develop a little bit more? Really seeing your business beyond the numbers, looking at the people, looking at the people demographics, that can tell a huge story of what's there and what is missing first. After that, finding the right people or thought partners to, to connect with that can help you in the right direction. So my firm, we had a DEI committee, we still do. They were driving the course and driving the force of all of the stuff, all DEI related at FD. They came to our managing partner and was like, hey, this stuff's important. Our people wanna look at it. We don't have time, we need to hire a person. So having a space and opportunity to have open and honest conversation with your leaders or your business or your uh, people manager, to be like, hey, this is what we don't have. This is what we're missing. How can we create space to change this? It could be as small as starting a committee group mm -hmm. or a town hall. It doesn't have to be creating a role or a position for someone to do that. Hopefully that's the end goal, but that, that everybody doesn't have capacity to be able to do that starting out. Connect with the people in your community. Connect with other businesses 
or firms in your industry space that are doing it right. Ask them, what's worked? What's been your barrier? Really look um, leading in that connection space and just asking people. I think as humans, sometimes it's hard to ask the question or be like, hey, I don't know, um, because our pride. I get that. And as a business, that can be hard for some people. For me, I just relocated here eight months ago, and that was how I how I feel been very successful is asking other firms. I have found a few other firms that are doing all of this correct, whether they're tax or just in different spaces. But I just set up meetings with them and I was like, hey, what are you doing? What has not worked? Who have you partnered with? Who can I connect with that can help me in this space? I'm a very qualified adult. I, I can say that, but I also don't know everything. So even the people that you hire are not always experts. <laughs> mm -hmm. So being okay to know that you may not always get it right. You're going to mess up and mistakes are going to happen, but not letting them impede on your progress of how and what DEI looks like, how it applies, how it works, and how it shows up in your space. So really aligning yourself with others to help be the advocate for you and to uplift and affirm on your own journey. What it looks like here at Fraser and Dieter is not what it's going to look like everywhere else. And that's okay. So it sounds bad, but kind of lowering the standards a little bit and being really intentional on how you're going to create, not just coming up with an idea, but how is it going to apply? What's the application look like? What's the implementation look like? Creating the structure and looking at it that way is how you create change and progress that will be lasting and impactful. Yeah, and I think uh, to add to that and even really just restate what you said in a different way is to have grace mm, and yeah. under, don't be afraid that oh my God, I may say something wrong. You probably are going to say something wrong and we all have. And just understand that this is a learning process for everybody and be open to different ideas. And, you know, when somebody may stumble, have some grace and say, you know, that you could probably say that in a different way. Or this is why you may not want to repeat that or, you know, whatever it is, just understand and don't get all defensive. The that that big wall that goes up. I do a lot of training in this area, and it's always amazing when the word privilege is dropped. I can see like shoot, you know, those walls go up. And I, I understand the the inclination for that to happen because everybody's worked hard to get where they are. And, you know, you don't want anybody to lessen the effort that you've made, but also let's just be open-minded and have a honest conversation about the barriers that some people may have had to overcome that you didn't even know existed. So it's all about conversation. It's all about learning from each other and moving forward in a way that hopefully benefits everybody within the firm. I would a hundred percent agree. Like, really trying to create the psychologically safe and brave enough space, knowing that it's not always going to be right. Difficult conversations are going to happen. Difficult interactions are going to happen. 
but if you've created a brave enough culture or space for people to say, hey, that rubbed me the wrong way, let's talk about it, that is where you're going to, to see the most change is really creating space for people to be open and honest, to feel like they can have conversation with whoever it is at any level about what's not working and them being focused on them as an individual, like their holistic development as a person, um, trying to see it that way first is really where I'm trying to, to get some of our folks in that space of, hey, I get it, this didn't work. Maybe this was bad for you for this instance, but let's think about it. Like if this was happening to you, how would you feel? Maybe we could approach it this way. Let's have a conversation this way instead. I really ask people all the time, hey, explain that to me. If I don't understand, ask, explain that to me. Mm-hmm. Really utilizing kind of that grace and space to learn for all of us. One thing I always tell people is to be kind to yourself. You're not going to get it right. Be kind to yourself. Yeah. One week, maybe on, like you may be on top of the world. The next week, you could be really low and at your bottom. Like be kind to yourself so you are able to do this every day. I'm passionate about DEI, DEI initiatives because representation is important to me. I want people who look like me in these professional spaces. So even though this work may be hard, it may be challenging, it's not always gonna hit or land. I'm thinking of the end goal, that journey. Being kind of, hey, this this benchmark didn't meet. We failed here. All right, let's go back. Let's figure out what we can do for this next week. Um, But really not letting the progress stop. That is the biggest thing. Not letting the progress stop when the hot button issues or all of the things go away. Absolutely. I love it. We always have such awesome conversations, Candice. (laughs) I think I'm just going to like set up a a monthly call where (laughs) we just talk. So I want to just go in a totally different direction and ask you a few fun questions here at the end. So when you were five years old, if we can remember back, I have much longer to go than you do on that one, but um, what did you want to be when you grew up? So I actually wanted to be the president when I was five years old. Still did to probably tell us about like 15 until I figured out what they actually did. And I was like, nope. But when I was five years old, I would tell my mom all the time, I'm going to be the president and I'm going to paint the White House brown. That's what I used to say. I was going to be the president in the brown house. We was going to switch it up a little bit. Um, I have since, as I said, do not want to go down that path. President, go ahead and do what you're doing, but it ain't for me. I feel you on that. I actually, at one point when I was around that age, wanted to be president as well. And then was like, nope. (laughs) In high school, I went on a um, trip to Washington, D.C. and got a little view into some of the inner workings and went, yeah, this is not for me at all. But kudos to those that um, do want to do that. That's right. That's right. I stuck with it in school, though. Like I have a... um history and social science degree. So I still love that space, mm-hmm. um, like the policy, but like, no, I don't want to do it as a job. <laughs> well, I'm the biggest political junkie and I have my list of podcasts I listen to every week and all of that. So yeah, I'm always, I'm very interested in it from afar. I don't want to be a participant. 
So if you were given a chance to travel anywhere in the world for free with time off, all the time off you needed, where would you go and why? I think I would go to Greece. Um, my great grandmother was a traveling nurse. She's no longer with us, but she was a traveling nurse. She passed when she was 96. And she always used to tell us when we were younger, I used to spend a lot of time with her in the summertime in Kansas. Um, she would tell us about her teaching or when she used to travel. And she always talked about Greece. And she would tell us how beautiful it was and just tell us stories. So it's been on my bucket list for a long time. Um, but Greece would be on my list to just explore the islands, be in the water, eat the food, like do all of the things. I think you're going to have to book that trip in the next five years or so. Let's just put that in and put that in the back of your head and make it happen. So, I think we know my partner and I just got engaged last year. So we are loosely, thank you, um, loosely, that is our honeymoon trip. So hopefully soon. <laughs> I like it. My husband and I were supposed to go to Italy on our honeymoon and we finally made it there uh, 12 years afterwards. So I got tired and we did. <laughs> <laughs> so final question, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Ooh, I think it would be like to be able to teleport. One thing. Right. Yes, like seriously, like to be able to teleport so I wouldn't have to constantly be commuting and transporting. Um, growing up as a Midwestern girl in Nebraska, I legitimately could get somewhere in seven minutes. Atlanta, like three miles is 45 minutes and it literally blows my mind. I haven't really crafted on <laughs> what the traffic is, if there's any trends. So I spend a lot of time in my car. So if I could teleport and just be there, give it to me. Yes, please. I like that a lot. Having been in Atlanta for a very long time, I have watched the traffic get worse, but it didn't start out as good. So as we grow the roads, uh, I, well, I think what we need in Atlanta is a much better public transportation system and MARTA needs to expand like crazy. That way we could actually get more places using the train because I do love the love to take the train. It's just often it doesn't get me quite where I need to go. When it works, it's good. So where I live, I have a station close and I am very fortunate to be able to come right into the office and cross the street, but it's definitely very segmented. It's not as connected. <laughs> yes, I agree. I have had such a good time talking to you today, Candace, and really appreciate you being here and sharing uh, all the wonderful things that are going on at Fraser and Dieter now and the things you have planned for the future. Definitely want to have you back sometime. I appreciate your time. Anytime. Thank you again for the invitation and extending the offer. I am always willing and able to be a resource and support you in anything you need. So just know um, I am here and I would love to partner with you again in the future. Oh, that sounds great. I will take you up on that for sure. So thank you for being here and look for uh, our next episode to drop in two weeks on Wednesdays. And we appreciate you listening to our podcast today. Thank you for listening to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. If you'd like to learn more, 
visit our website at accountingmoveproject.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues too. I'm your host, Bonnie Buell-Resick, and until next time, keep moving forward.